Welcome to Talking New Energy, a podcast from LCP Delta, the new energy experts. In the podcast, we'll be exploring how the energy transition is unfolding across Europe through conversations with guests from the leading edge of the transition. Hello, and welcome to the podcast. Regular listeners will know that one of the main themes we talk about is the increasing decentralization of the energy system and how we're moving from a system in the past with tens, many, maybe many tens of large assets to a system with millions and millions of small assets in commercial buildings, in customers' homes, etc. So today we're looking at networks and the specific challenges around accommodating all of these distributed assets as electrification picks up, as we have more and more photovoltaics installed. We're already seeing networks in some countries struggling with this, where networks are becoming saturated, it's becoming difficult to connect PV to networks. And winding forward, I think we'll see challenges around connecting high-powered electric vehicle chargers, uh, electric heating to networks, as networks becoming more and more congested. At the same time, these local distributed assets need to be or could be coordinated to bring value to networks. Who's going to do all of this? Who's going to manage the network constraints, coordinate all the local assets? Well, in some ways, DSOs, distribution distribution system operators, are the most local type of organization in the electricity system today. So can DSOs use their local presence to enable and support this aspect of the energy transition. I've got uh, four guests joining me to, um, to explore this, and I'll introduce them not all at the beginning as I normally do, but start with my colleague, LCP Delta colleague, Andrew Conway. Hello, Andrew. Hi there, John. Um, Andrew, I've outlined in the introduction this big challenge that is already with DSOs, but I think we'll be more and more with DSOs in the future. Um, are policy and regulatory uh, make policymakers, regulators, are they ahead of the curve with this? Are they anticipating? Are they starting to respond? Can you give our listeners a, a brief picture of how you see that? Yeah, sure. Th- thanks for that, John. Um, yeah, it's an interesting question about whether policymakers are a, a ahead of the curve or, or, or following. Um, I think we're seeing kind of three um, really key areas where um, policy and regulation is um, is starting to develop in this in this area. Um, but I think j- just before I kind of get into that, just a, a little step back just to say um, really why this is kind of significant uh, for, for me in terms of you know the investment that's needed in the uh, in the network infrastructure. It's, it's both about you know getting that investment in, but also about using using the networks efficiently as well. So you know we, we've always said around twenty percent of the energy system costs are in the network, uh, and you know some uh, recent studies have have said around forty billion pounds of investment in the UK uh, infrastructure is needed by by twenty thirty five. So quite significant huge amount of sums. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but yeah, back to these kind of three three areas um, um, of policy. So the, the first one I think about is 
um, the, the move towards more local energy planning uh, and the institutions that are needed um, for that. So we're seeing a lot in the UK around um, local area energy planning that's, that's been funded by governments, um, but also enabled um, by, by the networks and, and, and by Ofgem. Uh, and, and some evolving institutions. So um, Ofgem has now uh, published a, a, a consultation proposing um, to, to uh, institute uh, a set of uh, regional system planners. So these will be about um, uh, trying to understand what the energy system is going to um, become and crucially, um, what network you need to, to enable that. So that is really about driving that, that, that investment. So that's not coming full circle back to a centralized plan system, but that's bringing an element of planning and coordination at that local or regional level. Yeah, and I think critically it's about the kind of... Uh, sorry so, about that. <laughs> okay. So that's bringing... And it's not going full circle back to a centralized plan system, but it's about bringing an element of planning and coordination at that local or regional level. Yeah, that, that's right. And I think crucially, it's about the facilitation uh, across different local actors, so uh, local government bodies uh, and, and engagement with, with the network companies yep. um, to, to do that. Okay, so first point, more local regional coordination yeah. and the institutions around that. Exactly, yeah. I think, I think the second point to say is um, that the development of local markets um, so that's local markets for flexibility or, or energy trading. Um, and this is, you know, a, the, the network companies have been heavily involved in this. Um, and this is really about driving uh, the efficient use of the, the network. So there's examples of, you know, different auctions, auctions and tenders for flexibility, but also new kind of markets. So the, the, the buy trader market um, that so all, BMW all, is developing. Almost trading capacity. So not everyone yep. needs capacity at the same time. So can you trade that and get the most out of the network? Yeah, the capacity you've got. exactly. Capacity yep. and access to the network yep. as well. Yeah. Um, th th there's also, you know, new, new um, uh, thinking around uh, flexibility exchanges or centralized yep. platforms to, to, to enable uh, to enable that. And then the third point, I think, is that is the kind of evolution of um, network charging or um, kind of incentives around uh, um, uh, signaling to people uh, around network constraints. Okay. So a, c a couple of things there really are, um, again, just thinking about Ofgem's um, uh, uh, network charging reforms, looking at how to um, uh, signal to users when there are constraints on the network. Um, and, and how to charge for that. That's a, a long-running reform where they haven't yeah. decided what, what, what they're going to do. Um, and also, um, you know, thinking, thinking wider, uh, you know, discussions around locational marginal pricing, which would be effectively splitting the wholesale market and, and, and really... And localizing that. Localizing yeah. that and including the, the constraints in the network and yeah. how you um, uh, develop, develop the market pricing. So... The UK regulator, I think, is relatively progressive when we look across Europe. And from what you've said, Andrew, I think it's um, people always complain about policy and regulation and it's not moving fast enough. But it is progressing to incorporate these local distributed or the change we're getting to a much more localized system. Um, I'd like to bring in my second guest now, Laura Brown from Northern Power Grid. Hello, Laura. Hello there, John. How are you doing? Good. Thanks for joining us. Um, 
Laura, could you start just by telling us in a nutshell what you do at Northern Power Grid? And also for listeners that don't know Northern Power Grid, who Northern Power Grid is? No problem. So, uh, as you mentioned, my name is Laura Brown. Um, my job role is as a commercial manager for flexibility services, and that's uh, Northern Power, part of Northern Power Grid's team who's trying to utilise some of these markets that we spoke about there. Um, and uh, it's an ever-evolving area, but uh, we are tendering for flexibility at some parts of our network where. Uh, where we need flexibility or we need additional support in a particular area. And that's in just a counter to traditional reinforcement that we could do, like building more assets or uh, upgrading equipment. Uh, we can use flexibility as an additional tool um, uh, to help manage that. So that's kind of what I'm doing in my role at the moment. Um, Northern Power Grid itself is the electricity distribution network for the northeast of England, Tees Valley, Yorkshire and northern Lincolnshire. And we own and operate the electricity distribution network for two of the 14 electricity distribution license areas in Great Britain. And our role is to deliver power safely and reliably to over 8 million customers across 3.9 million homes and businesses in our network. So you're at the, I use this word and it doesn't fit with the energy transition, but you're at the coalface of a lot of these changes happening to, to networks. Uh, do you think I did I exaggerate? Sometimes I do exaggerate for effect. But at the beginning of the podcast, with my description, um, do you see this impending challenge or the challenges that you're facing becoming bigger and bigger as we get more and more of uh, these distributed assets on the network? Um, definitely so, and I think it's been recognised in, in several areas, and and it's still waiting for some final decisions. You know, what are we going to do with the gas network? You know, we're particularly in our region, we're particularly uh, reliant on gas for heating. What happens if the ga the decision about the gas network is that um, we're going to still continue to try and decarbonise um, heat? So we will definitely need new uh, electric electricity assets to support that so there's definitely a feeling that we'll be growing the network um we're also a region is the home to the nissan car plant who've and the, we've got a huge uh, envision battery plant here as well who's expanding so a lot we're the kind of the home of the electric vehicle in in the uk so there's loads of electric vehicles so we've got a very uh, a vast electricity uh, charging infrastructure in this region so uh, you know we're seeing that firsthand um, at our coal face as you say um, so it's it, I, I think that the, the, the big increase in volume of, of different technologies will really be in the home um, and that's where it becomes uh, interesting hence the community DSO project that we might discuss later but um, there, there are Certainly at this early stage of the journey of flexibility, we're uh, looking for large generators and um, large energy users to try and maybe manage their behaviour or manage their output or input of electricity to help help us manage the network um, more efficiently. So it, yeah. it's proven very successful and helpful. Good. Well, it's something that if you wound back 10 years, even I think 10 years, and this would all be radical and brand new. So uh, it's quite a rate of change amongst network operators to embrace these new tools and ways of uh, ways of getting the most out of the network. 
Yeah, it's it's interesting that I, I started in this the sector about 15 years ago, and the energy policy in the UK was that solar power doesn't work, so we won't do that. <laughs> um, I don't know if anyone ever read that energy policy, but it was it was um, I was working in the PV research area and was going, mm, I'm pretty sure we've got light in the sky. I'm pretty sure it does work. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and then when you got the economics right and the policy right, so we had an incentive uh, to encourage people to deploy. Uh, photovoltaics pv and yeah. all of a sudden the market was right <laughs> the policy yeah. was right and then we got a whole um and we've had a very successful pv sector in this country um, yeah. and i think we're jinx someone correct me if i'm wrong but i think we're over 10 gigawatt peak of installed capacity nowadays so you know well, if you get if you get the the policy and the the, the market's right it can be really successful we do have a lot of pv we've, we've just completed some research looking at the um residential PV and how how much P, residential PV is there is per household across different countries. And the UK has actually got one of the lowest lower mm. figures amongst Europe. So even though we've got a lot, I think there could well be a lot more to come. Um, Laura and Andrew, we talked a bit about some of the tools and techniques being used to manage these challenges. But let's move on to this project you mentioned, Laura, Community DSO. So one of the one of the things the regulator I think has done really well in the UK is this innovation funding, and um, Community DSO is one of those big innovation projects to explore new ways of working, new technologies, new models. Um, how does What is Community DSO law, and how does it play into the challenges that you have just been talking about? Um, well. Community DSO is a network innovation uh, project uh, funded in part by Ofgem to the tune of £14.5 million. And it's a five-year demonstration project to um, see if we can find ways to um, deal with this volume of uh, um, new interconnected uh, um, technologies that people will have in their households and how we can help the communities themselves deploy these. So the concept was born out of some collaborative thinking between us and our partners, LCP Delta and TNEI. Um, and that was trying to answer that challenge of how the DNO can coordinate these, basically what's going to be a vast array of interactive mm. energy generation, energy storage and energy management de uh, devices that our customers will need to deploy in their homes and businesses to meet uh, net zero. Um, in um, essence, I can give you a wee bit of a... A, a snapshot of what I think it is in essence, but in essence, yeah, it's, a, it's a solution to organise the network, the distribution network into energy communities of a size and scale that allows communities to coordinate almost possibly autonomously, but certainly semi-autonomously. And, um, and, and that means that they can make choices um, for what each community would like to do rather than what's dictated to by policy or by our network constraints. So, um, that, and, and where the, the communities would interact with the network is, would be in a, a common node point um, and maybe similar to a, a secondary substation level on our network at the moment. And that helps the DNO deal with the, the volume challenge because the communities themselves are helping to be part of the coordination uh, element of the challenge. So it's breaking down the network in a way into a number of cells or yeah, different cells, uh, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Well, at this point, I'd like to introduce uh, the uh, my two other guests, Stephanie Hay from TNEI. Hi, Stephanie. Hi, Sean. How are you? 
Good, thanks. And Tom Velli from colleague at LCP Delta. Hi, Tom. Hi, John. So we've had that sort of broad picture description from Laura. Stephanie and then Tom, would you like to sort of share one aspect of the project that you think that you're particularly excited about or you think is particularly uh, innovative or is, is a key part of how, of the solution to integrating all of these assets that we've been talking about? Yeah, certainly. Um, so, yeah, I'm Stephanie here. I'm the Director of Networks and Innovation at TNI, um, and we are one of the, the project partners on the community DSO project that, that Laura um, mentioned. Um, so I think, yeah, just touching on the, the, the sort of introduction um, and basically the, the, the theme of, of, of the, the, the discussion so far about the huge challenges ahead for um, networks. Um, and I think, you know, there's been challenges there for a number of years, but we're seeing more and more of them down at the, the lower voltage networks. Um, so, you know, these are vast, vast networks with cables and overhead lines, substations, where essentially the networks, they have, you know, minimal visibility um, of, these, of these assets. These are the cables that run into people's homes. Um, so you're talking millions and millions um, of assets. So, you know, that, that's a key thing that a lot of the network companies have identified in their, in their business plans that, you know, they want to, they, they need more, more visibility at this, at this level if they're going to have any chance of sort of managing the, the transition of, you know, people converting to EVs and heat pumps, et cetera. Um, so I think what, what the community DSO project um, we'll do in that respect as you know we've got the network companies from the sort of top down they're wanting to know more about their network they want to have better visibility be able to manage it going forward with the, the proliferation um, of these technologies but then you've got the customer um, who wants more control over their energy supply they want more control over their energy choices um, and more recently more control over their energy costs um, so they are you know making decisions about installing solar, PV and batteries alongside um, their other sort of grid edge technologies. And I think what Community DSO can and and will do successfully is is marry these two. So it it will take that sort of top-down network requirements and, and like Laura was saying, make it more manageable. So make a more manageable volume of cells that the the networks can can interface with but then also it'll offer the customers a framework um, within which they they themselves within their communities um, can participate in a local energy system Um, so I think the key thing um, that the the project is going to do is trial these Um, so there's four technical trials that that are going to be done they're going to be different um, across the board in terms of location, network topology, so urban and rural networks can be quite different. Um, there's going to be a mix of demand and generation and, and network constraints put in there just to sort of test different things and a mix of participation levels because some customers are very keen to get involved in all of this and some customers just, they're, they're not particularly interested. So you have to account for that sort of human element as well. Um, and what the tests will, what the, the, the trials will really do is, is test, you know, what technology do we need, what hardware and software do we need what kind of commercial aspects do we need in terms of trading and so you know one community has a surplus of generation so they can trade it with uh, another community that has you know a need for this generation Um, and then also test the, the levels of participation themselves so ultimately what we want to learn is how does this trading of energy and and requirements and needs at a node work 
um, what does the network need and what does the community need. Um, and this is all leading to essentially a, a framework um, of of um, what Laura was saying about choice. So a framework whereby regardless of the choices that these communities want to make, so they might want to, um, you know, build um, a solar system to serve, you know, their local community, but they don't really have much interest in, in making loads of money or, or anything like that. Um, the, the framework will be, you know, a set of rules and requirements that, you know, okay, you need this hardware, this software, these trading arrangements, and then you can go off on your merry way um, and, and they can achieve what they want to achieve whilst also interfacing successfully with the network. Um, so it eases the burden on the network and it gives more power to, to the communities. So I think that's that's ultimately what we're trying to do. And I like the, I like the way you describe in a way, it reduces the problem down to something manageable yeah. because if you've got a, uh, a DNO, a DSO with the, the millions of households that you have, Laura, then you can't have a centralized command and control approach to that. You need to decentralize the, the approach to how you integrate and manage that. And hence the sales concept that, that you just described, Stephanie. Yeah, and the, the, one of the other things that the project will, will um, look into is, you know, these sales can be any size i think so you know we're, we're not quite sure how many how, how much we're going to be able to make it manageable but it will certainly be more manageable than the um, millions of millions of houses that, that laura mentioned tom over to you yeah just touching on on stephanie's point um on the variety of cells uh, and and there's no size that fits all um, one of the beauties of community dso is that we're we're going to trial four different types of cell um, so uh, that's rather exciting. Um, I think for me, what's really exciting about Community DSO um, is the potential of accelerating connections. Um, so if we take an example of a cell uh, and a community, if they have a capacity level that they need to adhere to, but they can connect what they want in that cell, that effectively accelerates the connection mm. of the likes of EVs and heat pumps and some possible generation. Uh, and, you know, it's no secret we're seeing it in the news quite a lot over the last sort of 12, 18 months about the, the connection delays and the connection challenges. And I think having that peace of mind, so, for example, Laura in, in Northern Paragrid, having that peace of mind if a community can uh, sort of manage their their generation and their demand within a certain capacity um, and enable customers to operate their electric vehicles and heat pumps. I think, yeah, that's, that's great. So, Tom, is, is the right way to think about it then, that you've got effectively each cell is a mini network that has to be managed and kept within its capacity constraints? Absolutely, yeah, and and that sort of touches on the the different characteristics of a of what a cell is. You could be a in an urban area, in an urban area, or in a complete rural area, being a different cell. But in some way, you might be able to complement one each one another um, in an aggregated fashion as well. So, um, yeah, Laura, how? What do your colleagues think of this within Northern Power Grid? Because it's quite a radical approach to a distribution network. 
I think I think there's uh, uh, for those who are, are, are a bit a bit worried about this volume. We mentioned the volume of connections, but also the volume yeah. of data that comes from smart technologies. You know that they, they, they see this as a really good uh, facilitation, a way to facilitate and coordinate the the, the information that's available um, and. Uh, we're also really pleased about the the, the model that we're using for this. Is, is, uh, as Stephanie mentioned, you can actively participate in this or you could maybe not actively participate, but you're willing to share the data about your household with us to help us better manage the cell. Or you just, you're maybe not in a position um, you know whether because you're a um, vulnerable person yourself or, a, or you're just too busy to deal with a, a, another layer of complexity in your life so you're able to, we're able to model these households rather than them participating so what we really like about this is it's a very inclusive approach everyone in the community can take part whether whether they want to be actively involved or not and um, what we also like is is, is it we're sharing you know for communities to take this ownership, if you like, of their um, energy system, uh, we're able, as a network company, because of that control that they're providing and helping us with, we're able to share this saving that uh, with us through the market system. So through the DSO markets, if they can uh, achieve that um, coordination, we can share that as a market service to the community. So they have... Um, they're benefiting. They're they're taking their share in the uh, in the savings that's made, and that helps um, incentivize them to build more equipment. You know, it could be a really good incentive. And I think while we've made great strides in um, uh, encouraging large generation um, and large energy storage, I think we've failed to at the moment. There's not a, a clear mechanism to incentivize households to get involved in the energy system. And I think this could, if we can get it to work, it could be a really a good change maybe as good as the feed-in tariff that's what I hope no pressure <laughs> no pressure anyone well, I guess it's an innovation project so it's pushing new boundaries and it doesn't mean it's all going to be straightforward there's yeah. a lot to learn and find out um, Andrew coming back to the policy and regulation how it's a it's a five-year project thinking of speed how quickly do you think policy and regulation could if this is successful, to take the, the learnings from it and then drive that into the regulatory framework, drive that into policy. Can you see that happening quite quickly or do you worry about the time that's going to take? So it was interesting just hearing um, a bit more because I've, I've been sort of tangentially involved in the in the, in, in the project, but not 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 heavily. Um, so interesting hearing more about um, you know what Laura and, and, and Stephanie had to had to say there, and really it made me think about actually. Um, so I spent about about four or five years at Ofgem, um, uh, and and two projects there were, were were particularly related to this. So one was around network charging, and the struggles with how do you actually provide signals through 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 network charging. Uh, and then the second one was around um, sort of local energy institutions and what kind of different models you you, you could uh, you could implement. And then when I saw this community DSO project, it, it sort of blew my mind a little bit. It was uh, in, in just in the way that actually it could it can really solve both both sets of, of problems there, or at least feed into both sets of mm. problems there. Um, uh, Stephanie, uh, when when you were talking about the the sort of top down to bottom up. A, approach there where you've got the both 
communities and the network kind of working working together. Um, it, it wasn't something we had really thought that much about at Offgem, and I think you know this is that's one of the parts for me which has been you know really really sort of interesting and exciting. I think in in terms of the future, you know, we're just about going into ED or we've gone into ED2 now. So it's getting a bit UK techy, but yeah, that's okay, the next yeah, regulatory so. period for, so, yeah. for how networks are network charges and networks are regulated. Yeah, that's yeah. right. Um, and I, 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 I would expect that um, Ofgem should be, you know, really looking at this and looking at the outputs of this. Uh, and, you know, in, in terms of maybe the next regulatory period, um, so I think the periods are four years. They've got a bit shorter. Five years. Five years. Yeah. So this should be coming to an end just about when the next um, period starting. So that would be the hope. Yeah. So the learnings should flow into the next regulatory time frame. Yeah. 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 And I think often are open um, to you know looking at actually revising how they. Mm. Uh, do their their network regulation um but, you know with the with the things about flexibility and um uh, new institutional frameworks yeah. they're talking about i, I, I think they, should, they 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 are and should be open to, to the learnings of this it's fair to say that we've designed the project so that the technologies are um it's an old phrase but off the shelf you know these are these are novel mm. technologies that but they're available they're commercially available they're just not there's just not a, a market incentive to utilize them you know it's they can be costly certainly for a whole energy system a, a, a local energy system it's it's a hefty investment decision um and that that that, that, but the key thing is it's it's available. You know, it's not something that we need to trial. How the what we're trialing here is the deployment of it. Really, it's a demonstration trial. It's not a oh, let's see what see if this gadget will work in this household. We know these technologies work already, so it's a benefit. I think. Yeah, I think we've got enough widgets and technologies and gadgets <laughs> that to for the energy trend for the next certainly my house <laughs> for the energy transition it's how we deploy them how we organize them uh how they work together that's a critical aspect i think exactly and and i think that that's helpful too and um we've also had a lot of interest from uh, so although this is a project in our area we've got support from UKPN so they're the network company that covers uh, the southeast and london area they're also playing um playing a supporting role in this project and seeing how they can learn from it at the early stages but um i'm very fortunate to work in a very collaborative sector so that all the dnos work really closely mm -hmm. together so they're they're quick to see if there's <laughs> a win somewhere that they can they can also deploy um so I, I'm, I'm confident that if we can um, make a good job, certainly even of the early trials, I, th I think we'll get um, uh, we'll get early adopters from the other DNOs as well, um, and the national grid ESO. They're extremely interested as well because for them balancing the whole system, they've got to really get down to a, a household level as well, and that's yeah. hard for them to penetrate down. So yeah. again, they're extremely interested uh, in what the outcomes of this are. So again, no pressure, guys. <laughs> <laughs>
<laughs> well, Stephanie and uh, Tommy must both be very excited to, to be working with Laura in the next next years and what you look the groundbreaking work you're looking to do. Yeah. Yeah, very much so. Yeah. At CNAI, we, we do a lot of innovation, and these are the kind of projects that we really love doing because it, it's 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 one of the ones that you know you're, you're innovating and you're coming up with new ideas and all of that, but you you actually get to see it through to to deployment ultimately and see see it making a difference, um, which I think is really important. Well, it's time to come to that time of the podcast where we need to bring out the the talking new energy crystal ball, and I'll set the dial this week to I think twenty thirty three, ten years time. And my question to each of you is, can you share one observation about what will be different when we think about electricity distribution networks um, in 2023 compared to today? And so one thing that's different in 2033 and one of the key challenges that was was overcome for that to happen. So... Uh, let's go, Tom, uh, Tom, Andrew, Laura, and then Stephanie. So I think uh, 2033, did we say? Yeah, 10 years' time. 10 years' time. So I think um, Northern Power Grid and the, the other networks will be offering same-day connections to all of its customers. <laughs> the key thing that will have to happen for that key enabler, the key challenge that was overcome? Yeah, the key enabler and the key challenge, and, and Stephanie's touched on it, is um, is visibility. And I know Ofgem, our regulator, are very uh, hot on, on this subject. And network visibility is key um, to enable connections the networks need to see what's what what's on their network and what capacity is yeah. at a greater granularity um and whether that's at, and just touching on the cells that we we're doing under community dso we've got managed um monitored modeling so having those three cell types gives yeah. you that greater visibility and i think once there is more of that connections can happen much much quicker i like the i like the bold vision of same day connections you've got to have uh, yeah, i'm, I'm, I'm like waiting it. for some abuse now but yeah um. <laughs> <laughs> uh, laura do you want to go next 10 years time one thing that will be different so i think what will be significantly different is um everyone's comfort comfortableness with data you know and this volume of data that we're going to have to tackle Um, industries such as manufacturing already deal with huge volumes of data without thinking about it i think the energy Mm. energy sector's got a huge um, learning curve to go on that and the ones who crack the data nut will be in a much better position so i i feel that we'll have a much better visibility it comes down to visibility again we'll have the we'll have the the tools at our disposal that help us make the right decisions. Where at the moment we use, we rely a lot on modelling, and mm. sometimes the modelling, in reality, is still it's still a step away from reality. So I think the real time data will help make our um, um, decision making clearer and more useful to each different part of the country. And the key challenge to overcome to becoming that data centric organisation and un- unleashing the power of all that data. So it's a, I think um, we touched on it earlier, it's about governance, about trusting the people who have the decision-making powers and not necessarily that having to be someone who sits in a, an office in London. It could be local um, decision-makers feeling confident that they've got enough information to make sound 
uh, decisions on and of of what our, our our systems need to look like. Okay. So decentralising decision making. I think so. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Thanks, Laura. Andrew. Yeah, I think um, I think one change we we could see is uh, I suppose almost an opening up of 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 networks and that that data provision um where you have um you know most if not all of the the, the distribution network is actually covered some kind of local uh, local market local energy market whether that's a kind of community dso operation or a more kind of uh, sort of private company or platform operating that um and I think you know that is going to lead to much more uh, efficient use of the network. So that forty billion pounds I talked about earlier maybe doesn't need to be the forty. Could be billion. thirty billion. Yeah. So we can we can maybe maybe reduce the cost of the energy transition in, in that way. And the key thing we overcame in the next ten years to to get to that point. Yeah, I think maybe 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 data uh, and 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 the regulatory framework that needs to adapt to that okay so we had we had a fast moving visionary regulator in the uk maybe they are today i think that's i'm not saying they're not but continuing that that trend yeah with with that data provision and uh, and, and access to, to data there as well yeah thanks andrew last but not least stephanie what's different in 10 years time um what something that i hope will be different is customer you know everyday people participation in in the energy transition so i do still think there's a lot of skepticism about you know the energy transition what we're trying to achieve net zero and how individual people and families can play a role in that so um another thing is 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 cost so speaking from experience so i have an electric vehicle and a heat pump and you know i was you know, trying to do the right thing, trying to, you know, play my part. Um, but these things are really expensive. Um, you know, I was I was told I would save loads of money because my heat pump's really efficient. And then two months later, the price of electricity went through the roof. So it's, it's, it's incentivizing what, it's incentivizing the right behaviors that we want. Um, and I, I think providing more accessibility to, to people to these technologies or the technologies that you know we want them to adopt ultimately so I think people um, as I say they're still skeptical of what we're trying to achieve they don't want to feel as if they're being pushed into making choices you know if we're taking away the, the option to buy petrol vehicles um, I don't think that's necessarily the right way to go so I think uh, in, in 10 years hopefully um, there's there's more trust like Laura was saying there's more trust in, in what we're trying to do um, and why we're trying to do it that trust is a key enabler that yeah. isn't necessarily always there today no no yeah. and I think I think the, the sort of how we can address that is is more transparency um, with with you know the network companies I think certainly over the last six months with everything that's been going on with the price of energy and the cost of living crisis I think it's a very us versus them sort of mentality and I think a lot of that trust has been lost um, and you know I, I think it would be really important to build that back up again. And the community DSO gives a, a model or a framework from which to do that. Yeah, yeah. Okay. 
Well, we better draw it to a close there. There's a huge amount we could carry on talking about with <laughs> Networks and Community DSO. If you're interested in the project, I think you can just Google it and you'll find more information. And we may feature it again on the podcast as some of the learnings start to, to become clear. So thanks very much to, to Laura, to Stephanie, to Tom and to Andrew. Uh, thanks for joining us and sharing your, your time and expertise. Thanks to everyone for listening. We hope you enjoyed it and it's got you thinking a bit more about the future of networks and you've got some new ideas and inspiration for how networks might evolve as the energy transition powers forward. Thanks for listening, everyone, and goodbye. If you enjoyed the podcast, then please rate it and share it with your friends and colleagues. If you're as passionate about the energy transition as we are, then you can keep in touch with us and look at our research insights podcast transcripts and download reports all at www.lcpdelta.com.